Welcome to a New Testament journey. We'll have our Bible reading followed by our devotional. Acts 23 Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, How dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realise that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descending, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell them. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, Some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 
70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him, for I had learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day they let the cavalry go on with them while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. If this was a TV drama, we'd get some syrupy mood music, Paul looking up wistfully, and a grainy flashback to 9.13, where Ananias prophesied, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. Luke, who fast-forwarded past anointed aprons and 18 explosive months in Corinth, now slackens the pace to slow-mo on some court scenes. Either he'd been reading a lot of John Grisham, or he saw these chapters as the climactic fulfilment of Jesus' declaration over the disciple Paul. This brings us back to the image we used in chapter 9. Listening to music albums can appear effortless, beautiful and blended, while the recording of those albums can be messy, muddled and flat-out exhausting. There is no doubt that Paul is slap-bang in the centre of Jesus' will for his life. Claudius Lysias, Felix, Festus and Agrippa are a catalogue of Gentile kings before whom Paul appears. This fulfilment of Ananias' prophecy is spine-tingling. But to Paul, it must have felt close to disaster. To Paul, the whole outworking of God's will must have felt like it was on a cliff edge, especially when he found out there were 40 very hungry people trying hard to fling him off the cliff. When we read the Bible, it's so easy to skate over the details, pasting a veneer onto each character of what we think faith should feel like. It becomes one-dimensional, boring, and a long way from anything we will ever experience. But if we stop and use our imagination to put ourselves in the shoes of these early disciples, we will find these pages pulsating with promise. Today might be a day where the detail of life feels contrary, where your popularity feels catastrophic and your very survival seems in question. But God will out. God's promises over your life will hold.
God's purposes for your life will be fulfilled if you simply continue to remain faithful to him. The neat summaries of our lives will be beautiful and blended, even if the detail of today feels messy, muddled, or is flat out exhausting. Here's a question for reflection. How much do you know and think about the biblical promises God has spoken over your life that will certainly come true if you simply remain in him? We pray God's word bears fruit in your life. For all the information about the New Testament journey, head to www.anewtestamentjourney.net.